And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Oh, Kellen. yeah. How we doing? And special guest, Kirian Fedorov. What's going on, gentlemen? Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, brother. The social media manager incarnate in the flesh on the <laughs> Kellen and Alex Show. Uh, it's quite. By the way, I don't know if you guys have seen, Father Dave has just released a podcast. Wow. He has a podcast. Father right? Dave Pivanka's own personal podcast. It's got to be called The Confessions. <laughs> the Confessions the with confessions Father, Father Dave. <laughs> what would those confessions be? First, let's, okay, we'll go, we'll read Augustine first. We'll go Augustine first, and then we'll read all of Augustine, and then we have to educate the people when he, that's on his podcast about Augustine. I read the confessions. I got to be in Dr. Pilsner's class, by the way. Have you read nice. the confessions? Nice. I've read, it's read pretty, I don't remember anything. There's like <laughs> whole philosophical sections. The, whole, the are, philosophical stuff, and then um, I think at the very end, there was this really sad, oh. I have it written down, it was a sad quote that he said to his mother as she was like dying or whatever mm-hmm. in the garden right yeah i forget what it was but she wasn't dying in the garden or, but but she was gonna she died at, right after right? yeah soon after but yeah so he's doing it with bob rice and uh they only have two episodes out Ooh. right as opposed to our 36 episodes. we probably have more than that yeah, i mean we, we have anyways, definitely have a lot more than 36 million we more have to have <laughs> father dave on the podcast it would it would skyrocket us. It would and skyrocket. He's, look, he yeah. is a fantastic guy. He he graduated from here. It's an easy right? thing yeah. to do. Seriously. Okay, we'll we'll make it happen, guys. Our, our Kellen and Alex are listeners. We're gonna make, we'll it, make happen. it happen. Petition, like go to his office every day and just That's knock on there and say, and say "Father, Father, have you heard of the Kellen and Alex show? Don't don't be jealous. We totally wreck your audience, but you know, like <laughs> okay, just look. just come on the show, anyways. <laughs> no, what's really you know what's interesting you know he. Came as an undergrad, mm-hmm. and then I think he discerned into the TOR. I don't know his whole story. I, I want to, you know, obviously get to interview and stuff. But um, yeah, now he's back as the president, and he came here as an undergrad. I yeah. think it's, I think it's really cool. That's really know, cool. A small, always been tied sm- to it. A small fragment of his story is he did go on a date with my mother. No, what? Yes. Oh. So, there might have been a point in the past where he could have been my actual father. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Daddy Dave. Cringe. Delete we should that. lead off of that. Delete like, that. Daddy did you, Dave. Did you date our social media manager's mother? <laughs> <laughs> they went on like one date. I don't know if he remembers her, but mom, when she no. saw the announcement, she was like, huh, I went on a date with that guy. I, was like, <laughs> I went on a date with the current president of Francis. Wait, University. does that mean he was what? not in PDP? Did the they time, have PDP? At the time, he was not discerning, apparently. Oh. The Bachelor. Dave the Bachelor. Pivanka. The Bachelor. Father the Dave. The Bachelor. Edition. Father Dave. Pivanka. He has some like really great homilies, too. He's a really oh, yeah. good speaker. Yeah. He's I mean, just good. super solid speaker. Well, his whole um, speech at graduation was talking about how you should love better in this world. Like that was the biggest thing was learn to love better, to love people more, to just be more understanding of people and to love correctly in this world, which is just like an amazing, you know, thing. a good example of that, right? The um, last Tuesday presidential debate, um, oh my Lord. love better, know each other. You know, it was just, it was just really, um, it just exemplified all those Christian virtues. It did. I was um, blown away by just how much the audience and the speakers were on fire. It really was. It was and like, you know, no, 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 you know you, who was on you fire? You, you know who was on fire, fire was uh, Chris Wallace. And he was <laughs> literally, he tried, <laughs> to, he tried to moderate that thing. But there was one point early on where he got so fed up with Trump. He was just like, go ahead, Mr. Biden, speak. Biden, speak. 
and it was just you knew Trump was gonna. Dude, if come it was like the fifteen hundreds, they would have like stoked the fire outside for Chris Wallace. Like both sides would have burned him at the <laughs> oh, stake yeah, afterwards. Totally. He, uh, just for the just for the hell of it. He like, was a kindergarten teacher who lost control of his classroom. Like there was no way. By the way, okay, how old do you think Chris yeah. Wallace is? It's got to be at least like 60, 65. I think he's I think probably he's 70. I think he's, 70. I think he's, he's probably 70. 71 wow. or something. He actually looks a lot better for. He looks a lot. He does look a lot he better tried, than Trump. He, he really tried. I mean, I, I don't. Sir, I don't, sir, sir. Then, uh, what, are what are you supposed to do when Trump and Biden are yelling at each other? You, you, you know, Trump's not going to stop. You know, Biden was like trying to submit a little bit. You know what I mean? He was like, okay, all right. He was like, would you shut up, man? Well, <laughs> he you, said that to Trump. Would you shut up? Would you be quiet? Well, you know, the problem is that Wallace has um, in the past been a very vocal opponent of Trump. Really? Yeah. Like even as a Fox News anchor, he still has like shown that he doesn't support Trump or his policies. So to have him as the moderator for the debate is kind of questionable because it seemed like he was trying to feed Biden a lot. And I get it. Like Trump loves to speak over people. Trump loves to bully his way in. But at the same time, there were a few questions that Biden kind of coherently answered. But Wallace just skipped over that. And then he Biden, was like, Mr. Trump, what is your opinion on the environment? And like Trump would say something, and he'd be like, Mr. Biden. Well, you know, um, Vice President happen? Biden, I should if say. There, if was, there's going to be a fourth debate, you know who's going to be moderating is Joe Rogan. And before they go in, he's going to be like, and now the main event of the evening. Introducing <laughs> a, first fighting out of... Out of New York, New York. New, no, where's Biden from? <laughs> uh, Biden's from Delaware. Fighting uh, out Wilmington, of the Delaware. shitty state of Delaware. I'm Joe sorry, Biden. Delaware. Shout out to Delaware. <laughs> Shout out to Delaware. We love you. We're joking. Uh, and introducing but, his opponent. Fighting out of... Was he Brooklyn? Queens? I think and anyways, Queens. there was a really good Babylon B, and it said, uh, after a seven-hour long debate, Trump says this was a uh, long uh, Joe Rogan debate. He said, this is the best pot I've ever smoked. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having Trump and uh, Trump and Biden on Joe Rogan experience? That would not work. Seven they, hour podcast. Would, he would pur- purposely try to get them both stoned. So no, yeah, totally. would look- <laughs> See, it's sorry. not hard for Biden. I don't think Trump <laughs> drinks even. I don't think he I don't, drinks. He probably doesn't, he doesn't drink. You know that he tried to get Biden to do a drug test uh, really? before the debate. Yeah. And Biden, Biden refused. Biden suggested that he wanted to take like breaks every 30 minutes. He was unnaturally coherent. <laughs> really? <laughs> he wanted to take breaks every 30 minutes. What would that minutes. even be like? Like I don't, I don't you just know. cut the conversation. We are now com- going to a break. We're to a break. Joe Biden's because Joe Biden's brain is mashed potatoes, so we need to. Okay, turn let's it back talk into- about the mashed potato brain Biden, the dementia ridden, you know, that we've heard about. I thought he held his own more than I expected. I thought he was going to be more. Same. It was very well, surprising. I, I was surprised, yeah, for sure. And he, I mean, he stuttered a lot, but I think that there was like as he usually does. But I think that I was kind of surprised too that I think. He did a little bit better than I thought he would. Um, he was able to kind of the you know the most um, con- not controversial, but the biggest uh, part for him when he got kind of mad was when Trump was talking about his kids, like his kid who got um, three and a half million dollars, yeah. three half Russia. million that, and also when he said that um, you know his Trump like what or his son got like discharged or whatever from the military because he was on cocaine or something. Which was very underhanded of Trump to do. I mean, it's a low blow, but like Like, he, it's, I mean, it's, if it's true, then why not say it in a debate? Right. But like leave that to another time because like for this debate, 
what they're trying to focus on is big ticket issues. At that point, it doesn't matter what um, Hunter Biden has done or what Eric Trump has done at any point. It's like, this is the two people now, their policies, their goals, what they can do, not what they're okay, the commission. Right, wait, wait, one second, boys. What <clears throat> big ticket issues did they really address and how, like, because we hit COVID, we hit the Supreme Court. There's nothing I really think, memorable I, think, I can I think look, law look back enforcement. on. Law enforcement, law enforcement for me maybe. was the biggest section where Trump dominated. He literally was saying to Biden, who has endorsed you in law enforcement? Tell me one group who has endorsed you and your policies. And then he's just going off about like, nobody's endorsed you. And you just, congratulations, you just lost the radical left. He did condemn violent protests. And he also condemned Antifa, which was more than what I was expecting. Okay. Out of, out of that section, when Chris Wallace point blank said, do you unequivocally, you know, renounce white supremacists. And then he had his stand back and stand by comment, which I don't know if you guys caught. He, he was like, he took the question. He didn't just say, yes, I renounced them. He had another comment and he kept going and stuff. And it was negative towards white supremacists. This but was, this it was wasn't Biden? just like, no, this is Trump. Oh, this is Trump. This is Trump. I'm going to have to go back and, and watch that part of it again. But I thought that was a huge, like, loss for Trump side or whatever that he didn't just what he wasn't as forceful against white supremacists and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Biden came out and said the radical left, super radical Antifa guys and violent protests, I say are wrong, which that's a, you know, the fringe of the left. He just said, I don't support that. Right. Um, Trump had the same opportunity with the fringe of the right and then yeah. didn't wasn't as clear that he revoked that and whatever else. Well, a, a big thing for me was also Biden. Biden said that he's in support of not so not completely against defunding the police. Biden said that, or that's yeah, at least that's what what position. Yeah. So that's like, uh, okay, you probably lost some voters there because I know a lot of Democrats that love the police. Like they're very supportive of the police, even though you know they're kind of just like they would might agree more with all this BLM stuff. It doesn't mean that like you can agree with Black Lives Matter. But you can also still agree with ha- keeping the police and trying to keep them as safe as you can because they know that Are you're you trying to protect. Are you using those equivocally? Because it's like you have Black Lives Matter, the organization, and then you have like the idea that like- The ideology. Like, I don't think you can separate. I, I think Black Lives Matter is one of those like blacklisted terms that only- Blacklisted. That only means <laughs> the organization that promotes defunding all the police and is pretty active in well, violence it does. and stuff like that. It does. The, I, the Earlier on when it was kind of like, yeah, well, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and all this type of stuff. That was when it like those days are over. Yeah. Like, like when you that, say BLM, it's like it's it means one thing. It means yeah. the organization that promotes the defunding of all police and a lot of violent rallies and stuff like that. Well, you can't. OK, so I mean. Right. Like you were saying earlier, there was like that difference. But I, I, so mean, take I guess that now, announcer that we, yeah. we go back to all the time that got fired because when somebody said, do you support Black Lives Matter? He tweeted back all lives, all matter. All lives matter. So that already and then he got fired from his job yeah. for saying yeah. that. So already that goes to show this is a, a radical organization that wants specific, you know, really radical policies. So I, I don't see any, I, you know, I don't have any sympathy for that idea. Do I think all lives matter and that we, we should be, you know, trying for pushing uh, for justice police for all reform. people in the United States? Of like, course, that's like, that's not even an argument or even a really su- substantially interesting idea. No, it's not. But if you say, okay, we need re- reform for a- African-Americans in the cities with police and stuff, I'm like, yeah, great. But then BLM has been co-opted by a organization that has specific political goals. And at that time, you can't even use the term anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
you, like you were saying earlier on, there was that separation. Now it's kind of forged into one thing. I mean, I think that you can agree with the statement that black lives matter. Obviously black lives matter. We all know that. Um, and not just, I mean, not just black lives, white lives matter, races, ethnicities, whatever you want. But, um, it comes when it gets bad when you start saying, you know, murder the police, defund the police, um, all these things, which a lot of people like associate with black lives matter. Um, and I've actually seen it too in protests, but I support the fact that somebody could have the right to protest peacefully. I support that fact. Everybody should have the right to protest peacefully. I don't support the fact that they burn and loot and murder and do all that stuff. I don't support yeah, that. Biden was also in that. Just, I think he did really well for himself on presenting himself more centrist and more like, you know, especially when you had a Trump who came out there literally with a vengeance Guns to blazing. really, you know, to really just them up. Uh, disembowel Biden during the debate. And he went full force, was interrupting him the whole time. Like, and Biden was just like presenting centrist positions. This is a thing I always hate with the uh, w- when you try and accuse you know, your opponent of being like not mentally capable or whatever. All you have to do to disprove that is just be somewhat mentally capable. Just, just, yeah. So it's a really yeah. bad. I think it's bad, bad political move because then you just like I'm thinking of that Reagan uh, when he was in a debate and he's like, you know, Reagan's super old and all this stuff. And he then he says, you know, I won't I won't allow this debate to descend. I don't want to exploit my opponent's youth and inexperience. Um, in, in, in this debate. And so he just totally ribbed him on it. Right. Yeah. I think it's the same thing, age or like mental capabilities or whatever. I just think those type of attacks are really stupid. Right. Well, Trump is- you can attack Trump's or sorry, Biden's son. I think that's actually a fair attack with your, your son received three and a half million dollars. Yeah. In well, it's a, it's that's a like, legitimate, that's, that's legitimate. It's a legitimate thing. Yeah. I mean, we all know that Biden is mental and he has dementia is probably bipolar, all this garbage that he, we, I'm sure that people know that and hopefully people know that, but um, <clears throat> there are low blows when it comes to politics, especially in debates. When you have Trump up there, I mean, there's always going to be said you graduated sort of, last in your class. And yeah. That type of stuff. He said you didn't graduate first. You graduated last. I mean, what, what, what is considered a low blow then if it's truthful, right? If something's <laughs> false, then, and you say it, then that, I mean, that's really a low blow and it's not even true, but if something's truthful, and is completely true and it's factual, then where is the low blow in that? You know what I mean? Like if he said, would you consider it a low blow to Biden if he said you graduated last in your class, which is true. So how can it be a low blow, right? But but does Trump know that? Well, I think it's common like, like, common knowledge. How? I didn't know that before watching the debate. All I heard well, was Trump I think, saying, I don't think every smart, single person knows it, but I think well, right, but majority see, of people know that Biden didn't graduate the, top of yeah. his class. The, th- the thing is, is that even if it is truthful, there is still a certain amount of class and etiquette that's Fair. expected of you in a debate. And I think for Trump to go out swinging like that at Biden, it's obviously disrespectful. And, you know, if he really is saying that um, Biden is as mentally incompetent as he is, and we know he is, then just let him speak. Like, let <clears throat> Biden's own words yeah. condemn him. Yeah, Trump really, he did a lot of interrupting, which, I mean... You're supposed to follow, you know, the commission's rules. You have two minutes to talk. You let them say their thing. Biden interrupted too, but Trump did a lot more of it. Um, but I think that was kind of coming from a kind of dominant, almost I'm in power and I'm going to show you 
what the truth is, but <clears throat> you can show people what the truth is. I think the reason why people interrupt each other is because somebody must be lying. You know what I mean? Somebody must be saying some false statements where I would be pissed too. I wouldn't, I would want to talk over him and say, you're lying. You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. That's completely false. I'm not going to let you even say that yeah. to me yeah. or to anybody. No, yeah, I'm not totally. going to let people know that. He's <clears throat> the Trump of 2016. Who's not in power and is trying to vie to, you know, beat Hillary Clinton and stuff in the debates versus the Trump that we saw on Tuesday is a Trump who's been in the presidency. Like, you know, these four years gotten attacked and all that stuff. And is now just like, is not going to, you know, give any, like Biden, let, let him say anything. And I think, uh, yeah, that just did not, I don't think that's going to carry favor with a lot of people. Well, I think a lot of people are just going to view him as being arrogant as not, well, Uh, no, a lot of Trump, mostly Trump, but I think there are some people too that like it's going to appeal to the the base of, you know, Trump, like. You well, know, the commission but it's not going to appeal to people who are like on the fence. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she's obviously corrupt. Yeah, like Joe Biden maybe have some mental stuff. He's let. I mean, he may be corrupt, but he's not as corrupt. <clears throat> as Definitely Hillary not Clinton. as corrupt as Hillary. Clinton, I don't know if don't anyone think, could be. I think know, he's. I think he's ever more. I think morally corrupt because of he what he supports. You know, he calls himself Catholic. He said he was Catholic on stage, but he supports abortion. Gay marriage. He did. He did talk about Catholic <clears throat> stuff. Did, yeah. I, I don't he know said, what he said, said but... coming from a Roman Catholic, whatever, Irish Catholic. Yeah, he said, oh, Irish. oh wow, okay. Yeah. Which goes even further, but um, yeah, I think, I think, Biden I think it's was permissible to interrupt in if somebody's lying. If you clearly know somebody's speaking falsely about you, I think it's completely permissible to interrupt them. See, I would <clears throat> I would disagree with you, Alex, because I would say that there was no winner tonight. And I saw a post on social media after the debate that was giving like grade ratings <clears throat> to the people. They gave Biden a B minus. They gave Wallace a D. And they gave, <laughs> and, well, well, and they gave Trump an F. And I was like, no, there there is no grading. There's no here. everybody yeah. failed. Wallace yeah. was you know not keeping control of the debate. Trump was interrupting, and <clears throat> Biden was going a lot more centrist than his platform suggests. And in fact. Which I is would, why he said you're loose all your left wing voters. And he said, I am the Democrat yes, party. Yes, that, yeah, that was there hilarious. Were, there were a few quotes from the night. There were some quotes that I, I laughed so hard. I laughed so I watched it with Salvador. Nice. I laughed so we were hard. Laughing. Yeah, we were laughing too. A <laughs> lot was, of laughs. There was a lot, there was a lot of but, fun stuff in there. Oh, yeah, Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but see, I would be interested now, now that we've seen this first debate, to see a vice presidential debate between Harris and Pence. It's going to be the other because way. Because if that were true, yeah, but if that could happen, we could see if Harris's views on what her party platform is are more centrist than Joe's, or if she actually does go full left like she's supposedly supposed to do. Well, people have said that she's the most liberal person. In, li- she's the most liberal senator in all of the United yeah, States. Yeah, she is. But when we saw on Tuesday night was Biden going a lot more centrist and a lot more yeah. middle of the road, which doesn't really make sense with what his party's been running on these past few years. And to see what Harris will say. If there's a contradiction there, that might sow some dissent among oh, Democratic if the, if and If there is a contradiction, voters. it's going to screw the Democratic Party. Because if Kamala Harris, like you said, Biden takes more of the centrist position. If Kamala Harris goes far left, then the Democratic Party, they're not going to know. Mm-hmm. They're going to be confused because the vice president or uh, Joe Biden's running mate, Kamala Harris, if she disagrees with Biden on things, and you know that Pence and Trump are pretty level. Pretty straight with yeah, each other. Yeah, they, 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 they make a very good, <clears throat> coherent team together. So, and and we're gonna figure out if Kamala, because a person believes what a person believes, right? You don't necessarily have to believe every single thing that your 
running mate does, but mm-hmm. you should have some level of um, coherency and, and togetherness with your running mate. Yes. So if Kamala goes way left <clears throat> and we saw that Biden kind of takes a center stage or a center position, that's going to be weird. <clears throat> it will be weird. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I definitely watch for that. Um, okay. And I've heard this. I want to get to uh, one issue they did talk about briefly. That was the last one. I think it talked about mail-in voting. Oh yeah. Which is already yes. going on. Um, so election day, Republicans, Trump, everyone is telling all everyone vote in person. A lot of the states that are doing mail-in voting, a lot of them are Democrat states. Yeah. Um, now, there's something I didn't know about mail-in voting, which is if you show up in person, you're you're going to vote, right? If you have your, your driver's license or whatever, and you're going to vote. But you mail it in, there's a possibility of there being discrepancies. And if there's discrepancies, they discard your vote, right? I wonder how this is going to play in with Democrat states, because obviously on election day, it's going to be Trump won. That's what it's going to seem like, because I think more Republicans are going to go out and vote. And the Democrats are going to be more of the states that, you know, they have to count them. They have to process them. And uh, they even asked, I think, you know, poor Mr. Wallace asked, uh, you know, are, are either of you going to wait? You, or basically, you're both going to wait, right? You're not going to declare victory until all the votes are counted, all this stuff. And Biden's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And Trump's like, yeah, it's going to be a debacle and things are going to be Well, he said it's complete it's gonna fraud. It's going to take, it probably take a month or so. And if you follow his Twitter, he <clears throat> posts almost every day about how there's going to be more fraud. fraud. He posts He's talking about how there's all caps thing about a hundred thousand ballots in New York going missing or yeah, something like that. There's ballots like in streams and rivers that they're yeah. finding just flooding down. And so you're seeing all these ballots just being thrown all over the place. How the hell do you know? It, the worst thing that could happen is if we have so much fraud that somebody actually really gets elected when they didn't. You know what I mean? Let's let's talk scenarios. Let's talk scenarios. All right. So election day, Trump wins by a landslide. Uh, votes are counted. Trump still wins. Dems claim there were a lot of uh, ballots missing, whatever else. Trump retains the presidency. Okay. Election day, Trump looks like landslide. They start counting all this stuff and then they find out the Dems win. Right. And then there's like two options within that. Trump accepts it or he doesn't. Like there's a high possibility that he very much contends the election, in which case I don't know Supreme Court or what happens then. I have no idea. I, um, I okay, think it's the Senate. Yeah, the Senate or something. Yeah, uh, could you check it up for us, Brian? Uh, Brian's our Jamie. Brian's for today. our Jamie for today. Yeah. What happens if uh, you could just search up what happens if uh, the presidential election is contended, or what is it? Yeah, they need they need like does it go to the Supreme Court? Where, where does it go? Um, that I think, I think if Trump loses regardless, I think he's going to really put up hell to try and say there was a fake election. I mean, he's been doing it for months now. Yeah. He's, well, he's been saying that there's going to be so much fraud going on your second scenario where you said it looks like a landslide, but the Dems win. That's the most suspicious thing. That's very, very weird and suspicious. I mean, it looks like a landslide on for Trump. If it looks like for landslide, landslide for Trump. But Biden wins. Yeah. How did we go from a landslide to the other person winning? That's a, that's highly suspicious. It would be a very similar situation <clears throat> to the 2012 election between Obama and Romney, because yeah. everybody thought that Romney stood a very solid chance of beating out and Obama. Then just got his and then butt as kicked. the night wore on, Obama just managed to inch it out a tiny bit, just enough for there to be suspicion. Because yeah. if the, if there's a big landslide vote, 
and one candidate wins and the other side says, boo, a bunch of ballots were cast out. It's like, oh, okay, maybe. But there are very few times in history where there's been such a close election that people would be like, are we sure there wasn't just a little bit of tweaking involved? Yeah. Just a few votes here and there. I just think it's suspicious if one thing looks this way and then it goes for some reason this, this way. This is why it's so weird is because you haven't had states require mail-in ba- uh, uh well, you do have some states in the West who do mail in, but they also do in-person polls. I think right? you should. California is requiring all mail in. I mean, they're going to vote Democrat sus. regardless. They're going to vote like Democrat. Most of those Western states do. Do you find anything, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, so I found a couple things that are really interesting. So, first of all, if they'll have more than a month to count all the votes, right? So, more than a month to count the votes. Right. And, um, let's see. So, in 2000, Florida was still trying to recount votes and they just discounted their vote because they were taking too long. Wow. Okay. So the 2000, that was, uh, that was Cheney, uh, Cheney Bush, Cheney Bush and Al Gore and Al Gore and Al Gore. Gore. That went down to the last day. Yeah. Yeah. So this is 2000. So in Florida, they just, uh, it took too long. So they, what it went to the Supreme court for counting the ballots. The U S Supreme court ultimately ended Florida's vote recount. Wow. wow. So the Supreme, it goes to the Supreme though. Court, so, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. Wow. That's super interesting. Uh, that could imagine if that happens for multiple states yes. at this election. Well, that's. They, I mean, you you could see like you know what political they, unrest like we've never seen. You know what they might do is <clears throat> we COVID's been such a or is made twenty twenty such a crazy year. What they might do is I don't I don't think this is possible, but I think for if something if something weird happens and they might re- revert to it, they might ask everybody to like redo the entire country like <clears throat> redo the wait wait redo the everything. entire election oh, what do you the, mean that like, would take like way too it, long. it would take way too long but what happens if there's so much fraud and all these states are everything's going wrong for i think they've state? done that in the what uk are you supposed before to do? or something like that can right? you can you take can you say everybody stop the whole nation just stop <laughs> go back and everybody go in person vote every single no, person no go in-person. yeah they would go to election, Supreme Court. No. yeah no no, it definitely wouldn't happen though. No. I don't think it's this, possible. But. And I think out of all of this with the scenarios, like it's going to look weird. It's going to look definitely different than we've seen other elections. I mean, the the 2000 election that Brian brought up, like that was a big deal back in the day when Bush won. There's still some people who think that that was um, that Bush pulled some strings in his deep state and stuff like that. Like yeah. the well, Bush family is pretty, uh, pretty suspect. What, you know? what is like the, the Clintons, most, like the Kennedys yeah. or whatever. What is the most, most truthful way to vote though? In person. in person, in person, right? Yeah. So why don't we have all in person? Because we're making corona. a BS about Corona. Yeah. Corona. So why don't we have people socially distant distance? That's what the Republicans there. are saying. Yeah. Uh, I, mean. I don't think, I think that's possible. I and, mean, you know, they also it, talked about on the debate stage, Trump wearing a mask. Uh, the funny part so, was like, there's, there's 50,000 people that come to my rallies. How many do you get, Joe? You barely get any. <laughs> Chris three. Wallace laughed. He was like, you get what? Three people at your rallies. Did Chris Wallace laugh? <clears throat> he Great. chuckled. Yeah. It was well, maybe we'll burn him a little bit less at the stake. We'll, we'll give him a little bit more time. Uh, yeah, that was hilarious. Oh, they also said they want to rewrite some of the debate rules that they're going to do okay. that. The One thing they should have done yeah. is the two minute uninterrupted. Just cut the other person's mic. It doesn't matter if it's Trump or it's Biden. That's true. Just yeah. cut the mic so they That's can just a really go good in point. uninterrupted. That's a really good point. I mean, it was the most... Uh, I mean, I, I don't remember any debate being like that that I've watched it was in, wild. in history. That even the even the Clinton-Trump ones like seem to have more decor. decorum than this one. This one was just like... 
you know, commander and shit post versus, uh, you know, dementia patient, like mental. I think that, I don't know, but but there's going to be like, I think there's maybe something. The reason why that happened was because there was only one moderator. I think the next one's going to be what CNBC, CNBC, yeah. or when somebody, but is they're going to have, I think, I think October 15th and October 22nd. Okay. okay. Wow. So I think there's going to be four moderators, hmm. which For, that, wow. but that is probably good, right? Because then you have more people stopping the candidates from really interrupting each other. See, here's one thing you do. Either you do that or you just let them talk. The moderate, as the moderator, you don't even say anything. You just let them finish. La 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 la. Okay. Then, then nothing happens. Like you saw what happened on <clears> Tuesday. Like if, Wallace hadn't intervened, then Trump and Biden would have just been going back and forth like two toddlers fighting yeah, but over what's a sandwich. the rush, right? Dude, what is the like, rush? After like 10 minutes, I was like, it's already just War. interruptions. It's I was like, it's, it's like it gets, a Reddit page. If it gets more, it's like literally going to be fist fights. Like, it's about a, to see, it was a war zone. I think it would have been more productive if they would have just like had a boxing match. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just see who won, you know? <clears throat> Dumpy versus... Uh, Biden. That'd be fun. Yeah, I don't think UFC. UFC two fifty four. UFC two fifty four. Trump Biden. Trump, Trump Biden. <laughs> I'm telling you, I do a I do a UFC podcast on that. Uh, it's, I, it's I don't know what's going to happen because they came out with multiple articles. The company said that or the commission said that we are going to have it's going to be an order. It's going to be ordered this time. Like we're, they're not messing around. We're going to have multiple people as moderators, and we're going to shut the candidates down if they start doing that. You know, it's 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 crazy. So like. It felt like the most postmodern debate possible. Like none of it was, I'm trying to beat you at an argument. It it was all just political hits. Like at a certain point when, um, when society breaks down enough, uh, the postmodern critique is all language is violence, right? So anything you say, even this Kellen Alex show, right? I'm actually not trying to pursue the truth with friends. What I'm really trying to do is advance my power over people and influence, right? Yeah. And if you take Nietzsche's part of it, the the will to truth, he says, right? So the trying to find the truth is really a veiled will to power to get people to see the world through your eyes. Because if you can convince people to see the world according to your own thoughts, then they will conform their actions to that, those ideas, and you're controlling people, right? So so that's why we're doing the Kellen Alex show, right? Is go. to control people's minds right? control. and their ideas. But no, no that's the postmodern critique is, it's all speech is violence, right? And I think we're seeing that kind of play out in our political discussions that it's just, it's not pursuit of truth or beat you in arguments to reach the truth. A lot of it's just this, these, you know, one-off, you didn't graduate higher in your class, your son's this, whatever. Like some of it's based in reality, some of it's not, whatever. And and like you were saying, I think everyone loses in that situation. At a certain point, right? Let's say you're having an altercation at a bar and you're both really drunk, Right. At a certain point, words stop and just violence is what yeah. goes from there, right? Yeah. Um, the society having and, and taken in Hobbesian terms, uh, Thomas Hobbes, uh, when when you are not assenting to a sovereign, when there's not somebody above you keeping you from violence, basically, when you're not both assenting to a higher will, basically, there's no language between those people yeah. at that point because you, you both are laying claim to all things and you're necessarily in violence with each other. Like you can't, there's no possibility of language in a state of complete violence. So we're just like descending down this steep hill of, and it's just getting quicker and quicker of just no more argumentation, no more real debates on issues, no more real rational discussion, your fake news. And then the other side's racist bigots. At that point, there's no more talking. There's just, 
I hate you. You yeah. hate me. Let's fight. It like, gets, I mean, it gets like it's neck and neck, but I think what they're going to do is they're going to literally go to both of the parties and Joe Biden and Trump say, guys, actually, please try. You, they should literally phrase it like this. You can interrupt each other a little bit, but when it becomes way too much, please be respectful and let that other person just finish. Just let them finish. Is that you even possible? Re- you Helen can, Lake, is I, that even I possible? I think it is. I think if you appeal to them in a very calm, respectful way, say, you guys can inter- interrupt each other a little bit, okay? But you can't kill each other like you did the last <laughs> debate. I think it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, is it possible? No. And I think even telling them you can interrupt a little bit, like give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So I would say just have it like, you know, when two UFC fighters are meeting up, like before the big bout, like they have that big guy between them, just like holding them back to make sure that they don't like beat each other up. Something like that. Have a bouncer up there. Have somebody like cut their mic. Like like Trump interrupts Biden, have the bouncer deck him. Or or Biden's like, I don't know about that. And Trump's like, no, 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 no. My talking time. And Biden's like, no, it's not your talking. Have the bouncer deck Biden. No. No partisan politics, just a big muscled guy with boxing gloves. <laughs> that's the only way you're going to be able to moderate work. that. But knock that's the out only the way president. you're going to moderate yeah. that debate. You don't have to knock him out. The problem is, <laughs> at what point are you going to say, okay, one of them's being disrespectful to the other. Somebody actually has to physically step in and intervene. Because you saw Wallace on Tuesday. He couldn't get a handle on yeah, him. Sir, 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 I'm in charge. Please stop talking, sir. I have the moderator Go ahead, Mr. badge. Biden. No, no. A badge doesn't do anything. Force is the only, but I think one language. moderator doesn't do anything either. I think there I, th- has to I be think four. a stronger moderator than Wallace would have been able to. I think if Joe Rogan had been a moderator there, I think he could have wrangled them. Well, I Let, think, let's talk yeah. about that. Okay, is now that we've reached this this point of no return of just descending into political violent speech, right? And there's really no. And I, I was watching a, a video of uh, Attorney General Barr actually, and he said, you know, back in the day, you could have friends across the aisle, um, and you know, politics was what you did during the week. But on the weekends, you could, you know, be friends with these other people and whatever, go to church with them. But he said now politics has become all consuming and it's your entire life and your entire vision. It's totally uh, your own religion. It's not um, and these, especially on the left, um, you know, it's on the right as well. I think everyone it's like politics is all encompassing all parts of their life. There is no stepping out of it. There is no let's try and understand there is no it's my side and my power games versus your side and your power games and i think both sides are 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 guilty you know very very much of this and and now we have these you know with the internet with the kellen and alex show the joe rogan experience and whatever there's people who are like not in any of this who can have hour-long conversations yeah that i think are trying to pursue truth i think the the jre as much as i disagree with joe rogan on stuff as much as i agree with him on other stuff he can sit down with a guest for three hours and not be, it's not political power games. It's not it's, yelling at each other. Yeah. yeah, it's just talking and trying to pursue truth in a really you know in an interesting way. Like we well, had Shapiro on there. He's had Bernie Sanders. He's yeah. had all sorts of people on different sides. Yeah, people he doesn't disagree with. People he does. <laughs> uh, and people are more and more completely distrustful of our our established ways of media. And and this is a you know it's a topic going back 2016 and before where people don't trust what comes out of anything, Fox News, CNN, uh, any of our major sites, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these things that are, are, are hallmarks of American media and getting information to people so they can make decisions has all been, you know, in the eyes of pretty much everyone, corrupted to such a point that you got to turn to, you know, Joe Rogan in a basement somewhere 
who's actually just talking with somebody. And that's more clear and more coherent and more like pursuing truth than any of the manufactured uh, stuff that we get out of the media. Well, I think a big thing, one, one, something that I saw from uh, Trump is that he said, you can ask me any question, but there's nothing I won't give a proper answer to. So I think a thing that Joe Rogan does well is that it's such a relaxed environment, right? It's not stressed. It's a nice million dollar studio, you know? And he goes in there, he just, they just talk. Let's just talk about it. We can disagree. He had Candace Owens on the show. They disagreed. They debated over climate change and stuff. But Trump said, there's nothing that you can ask me that I won't give a proper answer to. If they just had that mentality in the debate, the more kind of relaxed, the more let's debate these topics. But like you said, politics has become so much of our lives. It's become everything in our lives. Times change, which mean which means people change, ideas change, systems change. But if there has to be some point where we can just revert back to simple talk, you know what I mean? Why can't Biden speak two minutes without Trump interrupting him? Why can't Trump speak two minutes without Biden interrupting him? It's it's politics, but there has to be some sort of basic hum- down-to-earth level where you can just let your opponent speak for two minutes. Don't say anything. Even, like I'm saying, like I was saying, if he starts spewing lies, then I think it's permissible to interrupt him. But if he's, if it's even borderline true or well, not, the let him speak. Is, all <clears throat> speech is basically lies. Yeah. I don't right? think all speech I mean, is lies. I mean, there's influence, right? There's, there's, so, political influence but i there's think there's no the postmodern say there's no truth by which you can like everyone can judge uh speech right like it's all lies cuz you're coming up with it for your own particular personal interest you're coming up with whatever you're saying for your particular interest all speech is violence so like it's all lies right so trump is nothing but a lie and biden's nothing but a lie and there are two lies that people either you either accept the biden lie or the trump lie and then you trust them to carry out whatever lie you think they, it's like, that's how far, you know, these, you know, the, the postmoderns take it. And I think we're, as the further we get away from Christian virtue and Christian ethics that have undergird our society for forever, um, and the further we get away from it, the, the more we just live out what the postmoderns are now saying about speech being violence and politics being all encompassing, it's all of your life, um, and I think the media has completely lost any shred of credibility of being objective in any way. Oh yeah, they're sure. just living that out as well, right? There's no objectivity. You'll have one in media. one thing, right? Uh, <clears throat> thing that happened, right? And then everyone has their particular interest that they think they can benefit from, and none of them really care about the thing or the truth of the thing. And now it's it's the same with history as well, right? So uh, take any historical event, the Crusades or something like that, right? depending on who you are as a historian and what's your philosophical outlook and what's your worldview and whatever, the crusades are going to look radically different depending on who you talk to a Catholic historian versus an atheistic one versus a Muslim scholar versus whatever. Um, Now they just take, and same with literature, right? So postmodernism really found its roots in literature because they said there's really no objective 
reality to any of this literature stuff. There's no real truth that, you know, novels are peering into and and poetry and whatever else. So it's all just what you want to think about the literature, about the poetry and whatever else. And they extrapolated that to all of all speech, all history, all everything. It's violence. It's power. Um, it's quite sad, truly. I mean, it's it's that we've reverted to this way of personal gain, me, me, me. What can I do to gain the advantage? When why can't we just be every journalist? When you when you go to journalism school, the first thing that you're really taught is to be level level headed, be in the middle. Be non-biased. You don't want to be biased. I mean, you can have your personal beliefs, but when you're professionally reporting, you cannot insert your opinion into that, right? So you have to have a, a level of togetherness, but you have to be incorporating both sides, but you have to take a middle position where you are just providing the information but then you ask yourself, how can a debate work then, right? How can a debate work if you're just providing the information, right? Because people have political preference. The debaters have sides that they yeah. believe. They have things that they believe. Obviously, they're going to show that while they're speaking. Let me throw you, that you're to not gonna, Yeah, you're not like, going to find a debate where they're just spewing facts. And is it happens. possible as a journalist to... <clears throat> Be that even keel, even road. It's it's been very difficult to become that good of a journalist these past years. I have a friend yeah. who graduated from here last year who works in journalism, and he said, "All these news outlets they can't be trusted because whenever a major news story breaks, you notice that within ten minutes, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whatever, they just throw something out, and it's not about the facts anymore so much as who makes the most noise about it, mm-hmm. because." All of news media at this point has become a shouting match, kind of like the debate we saw. It's whoever speaks louder must be right. And so we have to get back to a point. And I don't know if that's possible at this point in time. I, I don't think it's possible currently. And it's quite sad, really, because it's people just want to hear the truth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Coronavirus pandemic. It's a serious medical pandemic that's happened. Why do we politicize it? Why do we bring so much politics into the coronavirus? Why? Because of personal gain, to gain people's interest, to make sure people see what you're doing. Politicians and companies or whatever, they want to make people see what they have to say. Mm-hmm. They want to make them envision what they want them to see, right? You can, I, can I switch topics a little bit? Envisioning yeah. what you want people to see. Social media, <laughs> which oh, we've done boy. a debate well, on. Recently. I just deleted my Instagram, by the way, and Twitter. I just figured that it was useless. Well, we did a debate. This house believes that you should delete your Instagram, right? You were not there, Kellen, right? I wasn't there. Yeah, I had Carrie was there. Back. I was there. Uh, and the house voted 52 to 48. You should delete that your Instagram. so close. So, Alex, should I delete the Kellen Alex show Instagram? What? That's okay, just- I actually, I, I'm, <laughs> somebody the other day was telling me they saw our podcast because of the Instagram post. So... It's little no, justification. You don't, there. you don't want to do that. I'm not. That's I'm not kill, using it to kill our marketing. I'm not using it to look up some IG thoughts on Instagram. So, do we do the Kellen and Alex show just to do it, or do you want? Do we want people to listen to us and do it? That's we, a great. It's a, a good question. Good question, right? Look, so, it's a good question. All right, to our tens of thousands of listeners out there, uh, we love all of you. Okay, with a deep, intense, personal love. However, it is pretty nice that we don't have 10,000. Like, <laughs> it's true. There, there is something I think 
that whole, you know, <clears throat> this is something I admire about the Jerry Joe Rogan experience. He's been basically the same the whole the whole time, right? I'm waiting for him to get Alex Jones back on the podcast yes. because like that's probably the most fun. I, I think if you like the holy grail, like the the pinnacle of all podcasts that have ever existed is his Alex Jones podcast. It just the total uh, anyways, the chaos, unfiltered that chaos, whatever. <laughs> uh, but through all of it, they say the same. And, and here's the thing with social media. Maybe I'll take Twitter for a second, right? Um, Twitter is just so absurd. It, it used to be just you follow people you're interested in and then see what they say. And now, once again, like everything else has been so politicized that it is. And, and you'll find the fringes of humanity on Twitter where they're saying the most absurd nonsense that you thought no human being could possibly say on on literally anything. Um, yeah, so I'm totally off of that. And then we debated Instagram specifically, and there was a lot of different arguments made. One of the arguments made, and I, I want your opinion on this, is that Instagram can be used for the new evangelization and therefore can be potentially used well. I don't think so. I don't think you can use Instagram to evangelize. I mean, there's so much bad... I mean... You can post nice things on there and try to get people together, but I think Instagram has a far worse kind of motive to it. There's so okay. Literally the other day, this is just being being unfiltered. Okay, I was looking up somebody's name, and I person's name started with an N, and I looked looked up N and. And I was writing more, but when I started put the end down, a porn star came up. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. A porn star came up. Mm-hmm. And I would just put the letter N on there. A porn star. That shows you. Just check the, okay, if you go to search, the search function on Instagram or whatever, or the, like your whatever, the ones you're not specifically followed, like they'll, a lot of those will just be those quote unquote influencers who are just like, Totally immodestly dressed and mm-hmm. doing these, you know, so with yeah, links yeah. to all their OnlyFans and Twitter. But but yeah, exactly. Not? That's what Instagram actively promotes, right? And you just it's do it scary. Do a search. Yeah. I just did a search and and a porn star came up. I was like, this is just this is insane. There have been literally times where I've searched up I searched up the letter J. I was looking up another friend's name, and another porn star came up. I'm, I'm not I'm not looking up any of this crap. It's, I have no idea why it's coming up. It's no. the weirdest thing. It's scary that one of those can damage a person for life. You have any idea how addictive pornography is? It's probably the most addictive thing out there. It's and it's so easy. The other day we just celebrated St. Michael's feast day. Mm-hmm. Probably one of my favorite saints. Um it's so easy to become addicted on Instagram. It's not even funny. It's crazy. Mm-hmm lightning fast you can just see something and then you're addicted to it oh. yep that, that was that that's um, what it is that netflix documentary um oh geez the the social dilemma i think is what it's called but uh yeah it was former uh people who worked for for google for facebook for twitter for youtube and, and for instagram and they said we're completely off the platforms and we used to develop these things to be as addictive as possible now there's also the other argument is like well, don't you want your product to be like people be interested in your product? You know, so there's that element in me as well. Where I'm like, yeah, well, it's a business. They're trying to make money and stuff. But like, I think it it takes the human experience of trying to make friends and be social and hang out with people and talk and whatever. And 
were taking the at least taking Instagram, reducing that to photos, you're never going to take a really crappy photo of yourself. <laughs> you're always going to try and put yourself in the best light, whatever yeah, else. All those filters. And they're definitely they're definitely influencing. Uh, they're definitely. Especially with with girls, with women, they try and, to and gain justification girls. of what they look like yes. through the app. Body image is a huge, um, yeah. I think that's a huge problem that Instagram ends up pushing. Is if you don't look a certain way, you're not beautiful. Um, especially for teenage girls, I think it's really bad. Uh, yeah, immodesty is a huge issue. Um, I don't know. Other thoughts on that? I, I just it's scary. I don't see the benefit here. I don't see that. That's why I deleted it. It was like yeah. this. I just don't need this. I mean the job that I'm working at right now with fresh nutrition by Drazen, he uses Instagram market. Like that's the only good thing that I see really with that. those social media platforms is you can market your product. If you have a product and maybe to try to talk, like I don't have the numbers of my cousins in Europe. Like I don't have their personal numbers. So I use Facebook messenger to message them. Yeah. Right. That's really pretty much what I use it for. Um, and so there's like certain usages that are good, but the majority of it is there can be so much bad. So there's the universal argument and then there's the particular <clears throat> like, okay, you particularly should delete your Instagram. The other is it would be better if Instagram doesn't didn't exist. Like it's causing more harm to people and society that it does. Oh, I think it probably is. And if it never existed, then we wouldn't have that problem. But I don't think that's entirely true, but I think it would like at the very least delay the problem because I want to bring up a particular function of Instagram and that's the story. So for those of our listeners, uh, tens of thousands who do not have Instagram, the story is where you post a picture or a video and it's up for 24 hours and then it goes away. Yeah. I use, I use the story on Facebook and other things, but Facebook after they bought out Instagram, uses this function as well. It's just like, here's a little snippet of my day, the food I'm eating, the people I'm with, whatever. Isn't that a little vain that you're like, hey, look, this is me in the moment. This is perfect. And obviously, you're not going to post a picture of just got out of bed, bedhead, yeah, story. Here's my dino chicken nuggets. (laughs) Yeah, but but why would you want to post something that after a day just leaves? Like, wouldn't it be better just never post it at all? That's like, why why would you want to do that? But the only thing that I can think of that would counter that point is if you're in a certain place for like a, just a certain moment, then you leave. Like you could be in the grand Canyon for like an hour and then you have to leave. Then so you take a okay, let me, let me ask <sighs> how many people actually care about you <laughs> enough to care? Where see, the, where probably you probably, probably nobody. Look, probably I, nobody. I can count, you know, maybe I'd, how many people would really care if I did something interesting because and how many people would like not really care. And I mean, most Look, no one uses uh <laughs> like people really don't care about you or me or I mean, anybody it's, else. It's like, true. Nick, you know Nick what I mean? Like, I, I care about people, but it's a very small number of people, right? And I care enough to know certain things about them. With Instagram, you have like, oh, I have a hundred people and whatever. It's it's the age old like, well, you have five hundred friends on Facebook, but you're not really friends with all of them. I mean, look I'm not. I probably know like a, a hundredth of them now there then we have to talk about okay well there's business and like yeah you want to be connected with these people and it helps with their business and all that stuff i'm like okay fine but yeah i mean people who really care about what you know nice food i ate at you know my huge t-bone steak that i ate at dinner right 
I might send that to a buddy of mine and be like, dude, just got a huge ass steak. Like, what are you doing? Eating but are you going to post that right? on Instagram? But why I, I, do I, you know what? Anyways, I don't know. The narcissism it promotes. Um, like if you keep convincing yourself that the people, the hundred people who are in your, your followers actually care what you're doing. I don't know. <laughs> the only <laughs> your, way you'll find steak, out whatever. if somebody cares is if they reply to your story and say something. Like I've had people reply, but like, do they really, really care about that? If I post something really emotional that like is really cool and that's, and I've gotten a lot of responses before from people like my sister's wedding. I posted a, a picture on my story of Sophie, like getting married and everything. And that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, that was really like nice. a lot of people really saying like, congratulations and everything. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but do I care enough does is it really going to matter to me in the long run in my actual day to day life if I post something on Instagram? No, no, not, nowhere, not even close. No, it doesn't matter to me. Like I, I have my own life to live. I have my own things to do in routine in my day. I don't need to tell people about that. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't need to let people know uh, about what I'm doing. I don't care what people, no. what I'm doing. I have my life. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to brag about it on social media. And and. T- Talk about the emotional toll, especially posting something that you think is, you know, really either controversial or really personal or something like that. Um, Anything that isn't just very superficial, you're going to be judging. You're you're literally letting yourself be put on like trial by whoever's either either following you or whatever. I feel like you're you're constantly having to justify yourself to a crowd. And by the way, crowds suck, right? (laughs) And and most people are not like, especially on social media, are not just these, you know, perfectly rational, care about you and all this type of stuff, especially you post something. Okay. Uh, poor Mr. Harold, when he posted on Facebook, yikes, uh, about yoga pants. Oh, he got ripped. 300, 300 he got ripped. Away. Now to our wonderful listeners who actually, who listened to the uh, podcast I did with Clem, uh, we spent an hour and a half talking modesty. And I thought we we covered tons of topics. It was really good, well done conversation. That's not you can't replace that with a hey. This is an article I saw in uh, the New York Times that I think you guys would like, and I support this or whatever. On Facebook, the medium that you you choose, right, which is I'm going to post this on Franny's chat, totally destroyed any possibility of conversation. Now it got people thinking about it. So you could say, well, that was the benefit is people started thinking about it and talking about it. And therefore that's all you wanted. But in terms of genuine conversation, you, you can't, you can't replace that. Uh, and it just causes firestorms. It causes people, no one, no one's changing their mind off of that. Now you could say my objective was to get people to talk about it. Right. And that's one of our objectives with the, uh, the dumb ox debates is regardless of how the debate ends up, I'm usually very happy that at least we address the issue. Right, because it's going to spark conversations outside of that. I don't know if the same can be said with Facebook. Maybe you can make an argument that it was better that Clem at least got people thinking about modesty, mm-hmm. regardless uh, of whether it was a good yeah, discussion. But do you need to but- post? Do you need to post that on Facebook? He is pretty well known at the school. Like he can just put flyers around and talk. <laughs> and seriously, Kelly, like nobody does flyers. Cover uh, your, we did flyers. Cover your butt. Cover <laughs> your ass, man. <laughs> I mean, yikes. We, we talked about it too, like the yoga pants um, or whatever. It We're would not be doing cool. that debate, by the way. It would so be cool. Good. It would be cool to see more women with sports shorts on. Shorts are cool. 
But like, what well, I'm just saying, as compared, oh, okay, as compared to yoga pants, right? That's what I'm saying. Okay. As yeah. compared to yoga pants. Okay. You didn't let me finish my sentence. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't go well, around just staring at women. Anywhere, so, uh, look, anyway, so. I think it would be better as compared to yoga pants to wear more of like sports shorts, right? Because yoga, we talked about this, and I think the sin is in the viewer of the person who's looking at that. Now, it doesn't mean, like, I think that's really where the fault comes in, is where uh, the person who is looking at it, that's where the sin comes in. Now, it doesn't help if the woman wears that stuff. Uh, because okay, so what's her intention, right? If she's yeah. intending in- to get looks that then are that's not a sexual good thing. in nature. Th- that's a sin. That's not a good okay. thing. However, now, if she's not intending that. If she's that, not intending that, and it's like the Could most, it objectively most, still be bad? I think that you can't hold her accountable if she doesn't have the bad intention of having people look at her. What if it's like her favorite thing to wear because it's the most comfortable while she's working out? She has no bad intentions. You know what I mean? She doesn't want, she just wears that to when she works out. The sin is where the people start to idolize that. You know what I mean? And they start to think about it in an impure way. That's where the sin comes in, in the eye of the viewer. One of my professors brought up a really good point. Like the most modest, objectively societies are Muslim societies where they just cover their women, right? They objectify women, yeah. But they're some of the most like objectifying of women. Women are basically property, right? Can't show their face. Yeah, no, I I think, look, like if uh, it's, it's almost like, like if I asked you, how much money do you have here in bank right now? Tell, Tell us to, uh, to the world, right? No, you probably wouldn't, right? Because it's like, that's your information. You kind of keep it, right? And property and stuff like you don't just unless you're I guess you're a rapper and you walk around with all your bling on you on you whatever like same thing like your wife's your property so she, I own her beauty so she's going to be completely covered mm-hmm. you're not going to get a glance because I own it right okay yeah Dude, and that's how that, I'm not and they are some of the most I mean they have polygamy I think the the sex trade in in Muslim countries um, it's they're some of the most like the worst sexually and yet they're the most objectively modest, you know? Yeah. So it definitely is, um, like you, you were saying, it's the person who's looking is a, is a big part of Do you of it, find right? women more attractive when they dress? Seriously, just initial reaction. Do you find women more attractive when they dress immodestly or modestly? Initially. Because a lot of people would say, damn, she's wearing something really immodest, but that's like super Wow. I'm or somebody could be somebody okay, could be like okay, Kellen. somebody could be like wow she's dressed that way that doesn't look good to me this woman's dressed really modestly damn I mean part of it is <laughs> when a woman wears very the wow got me <laughs> part of it is when a woman wears very provocative or very like shape flattering clothing you know part of the male mind can't help but admire that you know and that's the good is that wow God has made this woman this beautiful creature. And then once we start going beyond that, that's where the sin that's where it goes. <laughs> that's where the sin and, comes in. And you know, in. part of it is modesty, but it, it, like Alex said, it has to be more than modesty. Like we can't just have a society where we're all wearing hijabs or togas or whatever. Like obviously, we have to wear some clothes that will show off. Hey, you know, I'm a strong, muscled man. I'm actually not. Or, <laughs> yeah, you hey, are. Alex. Um, you know, if you saw a beautiful woman in a prom dress going down the street, like you'd obviously say, wow, thank you, Lord, for making Super this wow. beautiful woman. Now, Alex, do you find attractive a backless dress? <laughs> what? <laughs> right? It came out of nowhere. Uh, I think backless dress is trying to wear really, one? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, I don't know. I think they're pretty cool. I don't think they're honestly, I mean, it's a, it's weird, right? It's really weird because we've never seen that guys, before. Guys, guys, stress, guys, right? Our listeners, but, they all want us to give you fashion advice. Like, they Like, our listeners want us, <laughs> Kellen and Alex, to tell you what to wear, right? Uh, we, we know what it is. We know what's great. I think uh, you'd look good in a backless dress. <laughs> oh, boy. UFC. <laughs> Conor McGregor shirt. Dude, Conor uh, McGregor suits. Those dude, are his those suits are, are nice. fire. Yeah. When he went to Somebody the, made went, fun of his suits one time. No, no, no. I was like, what? No, because when he went to the Mayweather press conference, his suit said F you everywhere. You remember that? He had oh, a really? suit that said F you, F you, F you. Like, probably a thousand because they were like tiny. F you, F you. You can look that up. Um, oh, I want to see we, this. What's the name Brian, for please. not Brian, Brian. but the no Connor Jerry? No, 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 the guy. Oh, that we, Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a throwback to the Joe Rogan experience. Check we out have a Connor young McGregor Jamie. fu suit. <laughs> yeah, it's no, hilarious. I I don't think we're gonna do a modesty debate. So okay, I think no, I think you guys should because that would be so provocative. Somebody, you have to pay somebody to go up there and just say yoga pants suck. Like if you did that, that would literally cause so much controversy within so. the little. I I think somebody said yoga pants suck. That would turn a lot of women off. Hopefully I won't hopefully it won't turn guys like yeah. There you go. Oh yeah. All See, right, we got a There's the F-E We got a picture right of there. it. Whoa, it it has uh it has everything. It has it yeah. looks, it's a pinstripe, it's but a it's pinstripe. the pinstripe is F-U. F-U. That is awesome. That's amazing. I want that suit. <laughs> I want to wear that suit. Wear that to sing the national anthem. That's what, a pinstripe suit, but the pinstripe say fuck you. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, we but, should all wear that. <laughs> We'd have to start uh, recording video. I can get a replica of that. It probably cost me like a thousand bucks, but. Oh, what does that matter to you? Uh, just just but, throw it. Just throw out the just money. Just put you know? it in there. Uh, yeah, no, I, I yeah. I, okay. Going back to social media, let's, let's go back to social media. <laughs> we went off into modesty, which I think is a, it's a good issue, but, um, I am living proof. I have, you know, maybe two or three friends total, but, uh, <laughs> I am not on Facebook. I've not been on Twitter, not on Instagram, not on any of it. And, um, you're just doing your somehow thing. I'm just doing my thing. And I have friendships, some. <laughs> I mean, people know you too, just because of like the Veritas stuff. Yeah. And I mean, so. it's cool because on campus, you know, there's tons of people and stuff and you, you see people and it's, I have conversations with people. Stop <clears throat> you can have, you can you know? have status on campus, like without using social media, which is like so absurd to, you know, a lot of like, okay, I have, I use iMessage, I use WhatsApp and I use group me and yeah. I, I hate group me with an intense burning passion and zeal <laughs> i think the whole group me should just be a i don't like group me either. either i think group me's trash discord for the win uh yeah, yeah i have a discord as well i don't want to use it as much um but that's that's what i use it's youtube social media and then if you want you want to get my opinion Callan and alex show, and alex show. <laughs> i definitely say a lot of crazy ass opinions you, you've said all very standard I, stuff, i've right, said uh, yeah no right. no everything that no i say opinions, is like but, whoa yeah Carrie, it's pretty par for the course for Kellen. is youtube a form of social media no it's a form of entertainment content kind okay. of like the podcast a lot of people would disagree with you those people are stupid okay if so I, if why? I want to watch like a compilation of Pinkie Pie from My Little Pony, is that really like social media? <laughs> now we're getting the real stuff, Carrie watches. <laughs> I mean, going to an extreme example, like obviously there are people who will like post like sections of debates and whatnot and critique it. And yeah, you can use that as a form of promulgation of your, you know, your views and your ideology. But at the same time, YouTube is for the most part a very entertainment centered platform, not in the same way that Twitter or Instagram is. In fact, I would venture to say that the only real 
like wholesome social media thing you've got that isn't really social media will be LinkedIn. Cause it's a very professional link. Very I have LinkedIn and that works very product. well. It does. It's very good for promoting your, um, like your current situation, like what your job is or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn's really good. That's, I highly recommend that cause it recommends jobs for you. Uh, it sets you up for interviews. It's like the perfect job app. Mm-hmm. Um, I have LinkedIn. Yeah. And I use that, but yeah, I mean, there has okay, to be. So yeah. should teenagers be, should teenagers have this type of social media, Facebook, but Twitter, what, Instagram, what, what age, what? age range teenager? Okay. Are we up, talking let's about just like, say up until like 13 to 18. Okay. 13 to 18. Okay. I don't, let's take it specifically. Should a, uh, teenage girl between the ages of 13 and 18 have Instagram? Do you think that would do more I think it would harm do, for her life or good? I think it would do more damage than good. My personal, my personal experience, everybody in my high school that had social media, they were on their phones all the time. It was a waste. They were posting stupid stuff. Uh, it's just a waste. You don't need it. Uh, I think as you mid, you know, early to mid 20s, I think that there can be some good usages of it, usage of it, just because there's... Um, I think that you, in most areas, you have more of your life together. So I think that there could be better usage of that. Instagram, when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, there's really no point. I didn't really even use Facebook at all while I was in high school. I used it a little bit and then I went off of it for like two years. Didn't use it. Didn't need it. Proof. I didn't need Facebook. I didn't use it for two years. Nothing changed in my life. Mm. I knew the same people. I did the same things. Nothing changed. You could make a complete argument that social media is completely unnecessary. Absolutely. Throughout your entire yes. life. Easily. Let, let's put it this way too. Like how much of Facebook, social media, whatever is making people think all the same way. Oh, it's, it's like, it's like, like, the, like it turns you into a robot. Yeah. It turns you into a robot. Yeah. You it's think a, like every, <clears throat> because you're putting your life up to judgment all the time. Yeah. Right. This is the thing I never understood. Like, why do people? Why are people seeking judgment from this mass of eyeballs that are behind screens? Because people like because people like attention. That's why the biggest thing social media people want attention. They're willing to jeopardize what they even believe in and what they stand for just so people could get views Mm -hmm. at it. And people often are not as supportive of like the good you're doing. Like if we. You know, before we started the Kel and Alex show, we just went on this whole like social media. Wow, we're starting this podcast and this show. And then everyone chipped in like, that's stupid. That's dumb. Like you guys wouldn't do anything. No one's going to listen anyways. And they would be right. But uh, <laughs> we're on episode. This is episode 36. And, you know, we promoted it a little bit, but we have a select pe- number of people who listen. And I've enjoyed every episode. We're on episode 36. It's crazy. It's been it's a wild been, ride. It's been great. I'm not yeah. setting my life up to be judged by a bunch of random people behind screens to, to tell me how I'm going to live, act, think, operate, whatever. I don't need social validation for that. And I think we're creating people who seek nothing but social validation. And um, that that's, I think, a very dangerous proposition. And I think people, it, it crushes diversity of thought. It crushes originality. They talk about content creators and influencers and all that stuff, but they're a dime a dozen and are, are you know, replaceable with all, all sorts of other um, influencers, whatever else. Uh, I think YouTube, you get more originality in yeah, different stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, definitely there. Like you're, you're talking about, uh, yeah, content and different stuff, but you, but you talk about Instagram influencers or you talk yeah. about Twitter, you know, the Twitter trolls, whatever. Like it's, it's a dime a dozen, same stuff. 
Carrie, you studied psychology right here for, yeah, a, little, for like a brief your first, time. Yeah. For a brief time. Yeah. Do you remember like do you remember anything specifically that talks about kind of you know the effects of social media and just like especially like the the concept of self-validation? Like why are people so desperate psychologically to be seen and validated? Get really close. Yeah. Well, in part, um, <coughs> Kellen, and uh, first thing I want to touch on is that there exists this thing. Uh, I don't remember the official name for it, but I call it the Facebook paradox. And it's where you're on one of these, you know, groups, and you have a dissenting opinion with someone, and you provide evidence to the contrary of their view, and then they'll say, okay, and they just won't change their mind about it. They'll say, we'll agree to disagree. Is that no matter how much evidence you present to people chances are they're not going to change their minds about it. And when you're a social media influencer, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, or a lot of Twitter people, is that you feel that your worth is determined by how many followers you have. And um, I won't name names, but I have a family member who has two, three separate Facebook accounts, and pretty much all of them are at the full capacity of Facebook friends. 5,000 each. Dang. And... I don't think that a lot of people agree with this person. I think they follow them because they're physically attractive and they tend to post some dissenting opinions. But overall, it's just a validation of I look this way or I talk this way and I see all these people, all these comments, all these likes, and therefore I find that my value comes from how many people interact with that. Regardless of whether or not they agree with me, it's how many people can I reach out to and how many of them will actually like reach back by hitting that like button, hitting that like and subscribe button. Hit that like, guys. Sub, 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 subscribe to the Kellen Outro. It's crazy how homogenous thought has become. Like how utter lack of diversity of of thinking, of living, or whatever. Uh, one of my professors, um, Dr. Andrew Jones, shout out to him, amazing <laughs> professor. But he said he was having a um a discussion with an Oxford scholar. He said, you know, one of those guys who's like IQ off the charts and was like, couldn't get an ed- a word in edgewise, right? And um, he was trying to argue that we live in a more diverse, um, in terms of what people are doing and thinking, society today, the Oxford scholar is arguing this, today than has ever been in history. And Dr. Jones is making the complete opposite argument that, no, we are more homogenous in thought and behavior than we've ever been, <laughs> right? Because... If you think about, you go back to medieval 1300s feudal feudal times, like the difference between you're in um, uh, Burgundy in France versus you're in Ravenna in Italy versus you're in Normandy is wildly different with people's lives. People just think, well, you just till fields and stuff like that. It's like, no, there was widely different uh, thoughts and and they were all Catholic in, in the 1300s, right? But there was no like, Oh, I know exactly what the guy in Ravenna is thinking, and he knows what I'm thinking in Normandy. Like we've created this superstructure beyond locale, beyond like here's what people in Steubenville do and think, and like that is the real type of diversity in thought and behaviors and ways. Like the reason why you can visit those different regions and have different, way different foods, way different, like uh, used to be way different languages, even like how they spoke in Normandy was way different French than in Burgundy versus in um, Toulouse versus all these other places, right? All that's been stripped away. Now we all speak a very central language, right? It's all French. It's been standardized. English has been standardized. Everything's been standardized. 
we all go to a public education system run by the state. We all get educated almost the same stuff in the United States. All of us have a Walmart, a Kroger, a McDonald's, a Taco Bell. All of us, you know, the, the people who have money go to a university. Almost all the universities seem to be peddling the same shit, right? And now we have all computers where you can get information instantly about things that are happening in the world. All of it has been completely annihilating the locale and annihilating local diversity and like your own culture within your place and making us just one homogenous American, uh, just whatever you want to call it, the, the melting pot, whatever. But it's it's become... It went from a melting pot with different flavors to a stale soup where it's all the same stuff. The right? one the one argument that I can see that would only go against that is times change. Literally that's what I think people would say is yeah, times change. Yeah. yeah. But but you are so right in the fact that we have become like where do we see especially like in the United States where we go one town and they do something a certain way, everything's different in that town. We go to the next town and it's completely different. Like, I don't really even see that anymore. Become, we've had, like you said, like the restaurants, like McDonald's or everything, the school system, everything's become so similar. Everything's become so centralized that it's like the world is being controlled by robots. It seems like we're literally, no, I'm serious. Yeah, it's like right we are you. controlled by robots and we are robots. Like it's, and we're trying to be more controlled by robots yeah. by putting ourselves to social judgment all the time. Yeah. And trying to trying to really conform, make our ideas like, like that. Why should we care what other people think? Seriously. Why should we care if it's like something minor, just like a, an opinion? Why should I should I feel like um, offended? Is it good to be offended by someone else's view? Well, maybe it's good to like take in consideration what they think, but. Why, like, why has everything become so similar? Mm. Why has everything become so same pattern? Not even patterns. Just like literally a McDonald's here and a McDonald's there. Why don't we have like a, like McDonald's, a McDonald's in, in Israel? Israel. Like, like a McDonald's in Israel. <laughs> and the best we burgers. Oh, we have a McDonald's five minutes away from my house and I can get one 10,000 miles away in yeah. the world. And we did. We, we got and McDonald's we in every Jerusalem night, you together. fatty. You want to get McDonald's every night. <laughs> just look, I it was cheap. Food. It was cheap. All right. It wasn't cheap. That was the most, those were the most oh, expensive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but no. The, Israel's the, expensive, the, guys. But it was so big. The burgers were so big. It was huge. That with the portions were huge, so it was worth it. Yeah. Because um, they got to ship those cows from other places because they, yeah. they can't get them from Muslim <clears> countries. They won't. No. trade with them at all but um anyway. like when did this start where everything started to become so similar like you were saying in the 1300s everything was so different like cities were so uniquely different everything was so diverse in between each city now we just see the same common patterns yeah. as you go to city to and city, yet you to know city. what bound them together with europe they were all catholic and, and this is something we're missing too is like People like to think that Catholicism looks this particular way. Like, I do it right in my traditionalist parish, right? They do it wrong at their charismatic whatever. They, you know, this one does it right over here. That one doesn't. Like, there is such a diversity of thought within Catholicism. Now, there's certain things where, like, okay, I was just reading today, right? So, uh, Nestoria saying that there are two persons in Christ, right? It's like, no, we need to theologically define this and stuff like that. But for the average Catholic back in the day, that wasn't an issue for them. Um, so there definitely is, you need to have theological, you know, uh, similarity and, and, and theological doctrine, but like how Catholicism looks in Paris 
versus how Catholicism looks in Rome versus how it looks in the middle of the country, somewhere in, in, in lower Germany in Austria. Um, totally, totally different. It's way and, different. And way different. And yet they, they all have bishops. They all have priests, how it looks in each country. Very different. They all conform to the Pope. They all come. And, and then, you know, it, it was so much more local, so much more your own place and culturally now you could di- argue, diversified. So this is how the moderns, you know, us, us moderns would argue is, well, look, I mean, I'm recording this on a MacBook pro. Uh, this is going to be broadcast to as many people want to, you know, view it on Spotify, right? Our 10,000 listeners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, wherever we do like, you're being ungrateful for all of this stuff that modernity has given us. And, you know, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if all this didn't happen. If we had our medieval locale style and people weren't on social media and like all these great things, mass media, mass information, like we wouldn't have any of that type of stuff if we didn't do this. So like, this is better. Look at the results. Right, but notice how the Catholic Church managed to convert almost the entire world, a worldwide religion, before the internet was ever invented. You had missionaries traveling on foot, on what? donkey, going around the globe, spreading the good news. They you didn't mean social media for that? Are you trying to tell me that Boniface converted Germany without Instagram? Darn it, what? Boniface! <laughs> this is insane. I cannot believe this. Uh, you're telling me that the Jesuits. Who went to India did not Yikes. have Facebook Messenger. The frick! Well, now, now they do, and look what's happened. Look at the Jesuits now. Yeah, look where the Jesuits are now. Yeah, yeah. Compare, compare. Yeah, compare probably vote for Joe Biden and, and James Martin. Um, there's, but it's become so similar. There's just all these patterns that we see. Everything in society we've seen, it's the same. But where? But why though? We can ask how that happened, but if we ask why is that happening, it's uh, it's yeah. hard to like explain. Easier why to control and power. That's what I think. <clears throat> yeah. I think after industrial revolution, we had Lockean private property, the move for nationalism. Nationalism works a lot better when your people are easily controllable and homogenous. If you have a ton of, that's the reason why the Crusades. You look back at the Crusades. It was so hard to call a crusade. It wasn't just an easy task of like, well, our standing military is now going to just invade Iraq, right? Like that's what we can do today is literally drop of a hat, take over a country. That for the most of human history, that's so absurd, right? Yeah. For the crusade to be called, you had all these lords all over, right? And you had, um, oh, was it, what was the Pope? Urban the, oh my goodness. Hey, Jamie, <laughs> did you look up, um, Brian, can you look up who called the first crusade? Because I think it was... Um, Oh man, I'm my medieval historian teacher is gonna murder me with an axe. But <laughs> when they called the crusade, they had to all these lords had to gather soldiers, gather knights, and gather people, and then start going and start marching and stuff. And then when they were done, they went home and they went back to their business and whatever else. This idea of standing armies and Napoleon really was the first one to take in Europe was the the one to really revive like what the Romans would do and having standing armies, having these huge nationalistic and Napoleon ends up taking all making standing armies, civilian armies, uh, Pope urban, the urban, the second Pope urban, the second, thank you. Um, him. And also I think St. Bernard of Clairvaux were some of the original, uh, ones who called the crusade. It took years of them trying to gather soldiers, get people together and then go. Napoleon started, uh, he he 
set up a meritocracy for soldiers. So it wasn't just you were born from this awesome soldier. So now you're going to be an officer. It was the best become the best. So if you're the best soldier, you you become the best. And he also had standing armies and he conscripted from peasants, civilians, whatever, to enter his army. He was the first one sort of taken over all of Europe. They had to send him to, what was it? Uh, Elba. uh, Yeah, that island, whatever. And after Napoleon, it was like, okay, that's how you do it. You want to conquer the world? Do standing armies, do conscripts, do civilians, have them just believe in France, you know, like that never was the idea. You never just fought for France or just fought for the United States or just fought for your country. Yeah. That idea is new to the modern age and modern ideology, because why should the 20 year old kid die in Iraq? That's a question that, um, you know, you look at us, um, Smurd, what was his name? General, um, I need you to look this up at two. War is a racket. Smurdly Butler, I think is his name. War is a racket. I don't know if you've heard of it, but racket, R-A-C-K-E-T. He wrote, Smurdly Butler was a general in World War One. He wrote this, this short book called War is a Racket. And he basically said the rich benefit from it and the young die. And they're literally trading blood for wow. it. Um, and so- now, why do these 20-year-olds go off? Let's say the ones who went after 9-11, right? We're going to go invade Afghanistan and Iraq. We're going to take out the terrorists, right? Why did they want to do that? Well, because of America and what it stands for. But that type of notion is new to the modern age and modern ideology. Like people back in the day, you you fought to defend your homeland, but it wasn't, it was defending what was, you know, it wasn't for all of France that you did the crusade. Like you did it to defend your fellow Christians were being attacked and then you went and you also did it as a personal pilgrimage now it's like no you're going to die for the country the country in like kind of a generic sense right so like patriotism in some way patriotism and nationalism is i think part of that modern ideologies it didn't exist in the same way in the medieval ages it was kind of a return to like this you, you die for you know the people of rome like roman kind of roman nationalism yeah back in the day in uh you know the roman empire uh, but all of that is just this movement and there's so many more intermediary steps, but all of that is this movement towards more homogenizing a people. So they, uh, so they're more controllable. They're more, you know, um, we're all Americans. We're all in this together. Um, we've talked a lot about like how the American people as a whole always have to have to have something to be afraid of or angry at. Mm. Yes. Like, That's a good point. Like it, continuously, it was the Soviets for a long time post-war, right? Originally Nazis, then the Japanese, then the Soviets for forever, and then we had the age of terror and the war on terror. Like we're being the American people need to attack and be afraid of something. There's something evil to destroy, and then you had you know war on terror stuff. You know it's been going on. It's you know still continuing. Uh, we've now we've now it's BLM stuff, COVID. Like there, we we all have to as a nation, you know, be afraid. Something that we all need to have some type type of patriotic duty to keep the the giant behemoth of the state strong and powerful and ready to attack our enemies. Yeah, and notice real quick um, how this problem slowly marches closer and closer to the home turf. You've got Germany, you've got Japan, you've got Russia, and then it slowly starts to make its way until it's all the way in American shores. The pandemic, now you have our political parties Mm -hmm. tearing themselves apart. Like It takes, at this point, 
a problem on American soil to make the American people that homogenous. I think, I mean, because I think it's America is really, to some extent, the protectors of the world. I mean, so many countries like depend on us. Um, I think, you know, I asked how, but I think the reason, the answer to the reason to, to why, to the question why, is because of efficiency. I think that literally even war is a business. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. War is business. That's General Smirdly Butler's yeah. uh, point. In War Wars is Iraq. literally business. I mean, it's yeah. all about efficiency. And that's one of the scariest things you can ever think of. The reason why we have all these similar things in the world today is because of efficiency. Think about like the millionaires and billionaires, Bill Gates, uh, Mike Bloomberg, um, Bezos, yeah. Bezos, all those guys. They had to have some level of efficiency to them to be able to get to that level. I mean, you have brilliance within you, natural brilliance, just to make something up. But the real kind of idea behind it is to be so efficient to the point where you like break the rules of efficiency. You know what I mean? Like you're, you get to that point. Well, I mean, he's using the labor of other people. Yeah. Like you get to that point where you have completely grasped efficiency. Like, you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. I mean, if your Amazon workers are complaining, then just, you know, send, (laughs) either get them a little bit more money and give them like an HR team or fire some people and get more of them. It's like, and we, your point about efficiency, I think is really well put. It's like, we have placed efficiency and kind of utilitarian, like the product justifies whatever means like the original uh, take Jeremy Bentham and the original utilitarians. They thought that, and they, they agreed uh, other like John Locke and others who are in the, the liberalist camp. They thought that the best way to increase efficiency is not to pay your workers more. So they feel more incentivized to work. Because they realize if you pay workers more, they're just going to take more time off, right? Because it's like, oh, I have some money now. I can afford to take a day off. Like, I'm not going to go to work this day, whatever. They agree that the best way to increase efficiency is keep your workers basically close to starvation because they'll have to work. So almost kind of like a slave labor or whatever. Yeah, but it's like slave if you, labor. If you but... keep your workers almost starved, they'll work harder than you can even imagine. And that'll increase efficiency. And then we can reap the the productive success of that. Now we would say that to evil. Now now they would justify it and say, well, it's the most efficient. So what is it? Would you rather have your MacBook at? Let's just take our MacBook, uh, my MacBook, not ours, Soviet, <laughs> and the place in the background, <laughs> our our MacBook. But um, it was uh, it, it was made in a factory in China, most likely by people not getting paid a very fair wage at all, and possibly even with child labor. I have no idea. And uh, yeah, and, and I paid for it. Like, am I assenting to our, our, our system of our system of evil? Like, take our clothes, for example, all probably made in Bangladesh, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, China, Philippines, or China, uh, Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia. Like, should we all, you know, buy only American made stuff and not use MacBooks and whatever else? Because those type of people will just say, well, look, you're. You're so, you're talking on this locale, all this Catholic. But you're sending all stuff. your money out to places that are ten thousand miles away. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, and most of it doesn't even go to those places. It goes right to where the executives are. Yeah, goes to the Bezos and yeah. goes yeah. to the. Yeah. Which is good old I, I Jeffy. Mean, it can come down to corruption, I guess, but there's just everything is so complex. 
Um, like even just the city, like the city has just so many things that are so complex within it. You know, every time I look into some event or some kind of development, it's so much more complex than I think. Everything is so much more complex, difficult to kind of comprehend everything. And so what fuels that resurgence of going to the top? It's efficiency. That's all it is. You can do nothing without efficiency. If you're inefficient, it's not going to work. In the long run, things won't work that well if you're just an inefficient person. But is efficiency the goal? Like, I mean, I think efficiency should be, I think there's a good type of efficiency and there's a bad type. The good type is withholding ethical standards, being a good moral person if you're like in charge of that company or whatever. The bad type is if you're jeopardizing like the health of your workers or you're corrupt or immoral. That's the bad type. You can become. And right, obviously, every billionaire in the world, there's got to be some corruption or some sort of like shady stuff that might have happened to help them get to the top. I'm not saying that like that's not going to happen, but you can do it, conduct it in a better way, I think, than most people if you're like an ethical person. Um, so yeah, the world comes down to efficiency. Everything's complex. What's the best way I can do this? War is literally like a concept of efficiency. How can we become the victors of this war in the most efficient hmm. manner possible? Maybe war has really pushed us in this direction, right? The, the threat of war, the... I mean, once Napoleon did his thing, there wasn't like a going back, like hit the reset button. Like all these countries after Napoleon did his thing were like, well, we all have to do nationalists or we're going to get fucking destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> like they did get destroyed, right? And then Italy, uh, you had the Kingdom of Italy um, who end up, ends up coming after that and this big nationalist push, the founding fathers of Italy, Italy or whatever. It's like, what the hell does that even mean? Italy's been around for longer than yeah. like forever, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Who's the founders? The Etruscans, and then we kick them out, and then you know Romulus and Remus. Like, <laughs> like, how do you say what's the the founding fathers of the Italian Republic? And they like uh, take take Mussolini, right? He was like, I'm reviving the Roman Empire, and you know he was the the fascismo. What, what was it? Um, fascismo. Fascismo, right? Yeah. Building these weird ass train stations in Milan, yeah. right? I, well, have you been to Milan? I, I've yeah. been to his house. Mussolini's house? Yeah, I've been wow. to this place where he lived, yeah. Good old Benito. It's a nice big uh, mansion. Where was he hung? He was hung in Rome, right? Uh, I'm Rome? not completely sure. My guess would that would be, it would be Rome. Um, but the place that he ride. lived was in Luca. yeah. Yeah, so what a wild ride. No, yeah, but seeing, uh, that, that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, Mussolini was, he was bad. Yeah, but like I he's read. the effect. Uh, you could trace it back to like, uh, you could trace it back to a lot of stuff, right? Dr. Plato has that typical, like, when you do historical what caused what, he's like, if you don't go all the way back to the fall, you didn't go far enough. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go to original sin and concupiscence. Uh, and you like, didn't get far oh, You don't know. What happened to this? If you told Mussolini, hey, you're doing a lot of bad stuff. Do you know why you're doing bad stuff? The because fall. I'm the fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the solution, if you don't say the solution, you don't go back to redemption and grace, you haven't yeah. gone far enough back either. Yeah. So, uh, But regardless of that, like, once... Once we figured out like these nationalistic states are the best way to conquer the world and to gain power, then it's like everyone has to do that to make sure 
you don't get overwhelmed, right? And World War II, we had just uh, you know the most efficient German Empire we've ever seen of the Nazis, and uh, they were able to take over so many so much land in so little time. Their Blitzkrieg, the the strategies, their industrialization, everything else. And then we woke the, you know, as Churchill says, the sleeping bear was awoken by the Japanese. And then we got into World War II and uh, we became the winners after that. And the America pre-World War II and the America post-World War II through the roof. Unbelievably Very different. different. Very Efficiency, different. Uh, unparalleled. Through the roof. However, now we've become, you know, something completely different than the original, you know, 13 colonies who are just like, well, we don't want to be taxed and be owned by other people. Like, take, take the... Now, some people have argued this. I don't know if you get the Articles of Confederation, the original U.S. The original, before the Constitution. Yeah, the, the original Confederation, ones, yeah. where basically all thirteen states were mostly subsistence, and there wasn't really much like federal coherency between them. Now, if you read most historians, they say that was you know a tragedy, and we really needed to get to the Constitution. But there was a big push to just keep it as Articles of Confederation, like yeah. thirteen fairly just self sufficient states. Yeah, we have seen throughout. The the ideologies that have you know pervaded from the 1700s onward have just forced America time after time after time after time to be more and more federal, national, altogether. We're Americans, and I think World War II is the solidifying of that momentum. And then it just when you had that mortal enemy, the Soviets, like in order to perpetuate that total patriotism, that total love of country, that. You're willing to sacrifice everything, and, and you know, assenting to the government and to the state. You got to have mortal, mortal enemies and mortal threats all the time. And if there isn't one available, you got to invent one. Yeah. Right. And by the way, right, we know of one that they tried to invent, which was during Operation the Northwoods, or Operation Northwoods, yeah. which is where the U.S. Joint Chief of Staff submitted to President Kennedy a proposal to commit domestic acts of terrorism through the CIA and blame it on the Cubans to start a war with Cuba that they could overtake Cuba. That is the most terrible thing I've ever heard. It was declassified like so in bad. 2004. Why the hell do we need to, with Cuba? Cuba's a tiny-ass nation. Well, back in the day, so the Russians were you know, shipping nukes to Cuba to, yeah. uh, because we had nukes in Turkey that we had aimed at them. So they were Cold War, Cuba. man. Yeah. So uh, the U.S. government thought, we need, you know, we need a justification to make people angry and fearful and whatever and so we can justify a war and shape public opinion once we took the nationalism stuff and we took the bait um there was no turning back now people will be like well if we just stuck with articles confederation this type of locale this type of you know your local america well eventually we'd get just invaded by a japan or get invaded by a a germany that's nationalistic so if you're not going to nationalize and you're going to try and do your, you know, lovey-dovey Catholic local subsidiarity stuff, you're just going to get demolished. You're not efficient. You're not whatever. You're just going to de- get demolished. Why? If, if you're going to do that, you're you're done. You're screwed. So it's a good point. I think um, that every country seeks a sense of unification of unity, but the way you go about that has real effects on your nation. So like the United States, for example, Trump really, you know, we embrace the spirit of nationalism and patriotism and we reject the ideologies of globalism. Like so many people will agree to that because right. We are the United States, America first. We want to protect our nation first. We want to have its, have it in the best, in its, its best interests. 
Um, he went about that through his campaign, right? So he talked about what he's going to do to help America be America first, right? Went in there, has done a lot of great things to help this country to become more nationalized or nationalistic. Um, and I think that the reason why we have so many kind of different areas of thought and diverse views is because we have people that want to achieve the same thing, but through a different way. Right. So I think to some extent, Joe Biden would like to see a unified country, right? He doesn't want to like completely destroy. A, I mean, a lot of people would say he wants to completely destroy our country, but I think every person, either you're Democrat or Republican has some type of, uh, drive to unite the people. Yeah. See, and that, like, that's what I'm saying is it's, it's the, uh, you're within Biden and Trump are within the bounds of what's able to be thought about nationalism. Like they, they yeah. still are. They're just little tiny disagreements within the framework. Right. Yeah. These arguments are like outside the framework. It's like, look, yeah. look at this behemoth satanic Leviathan we've made of national nation states that has come out of, you know, and, and our huge standing armies with $3 trillion spent every year. Like, where, like, uh, how did we get here? Yeah. And and what happened to that we're so homogenous and, and so taken by all these media and stuff? And like, if this, and the fact that we have these two people who are supposed world leaders, like, but who's actually leading stuff? And all of this should be really wor- worrying. And there's not, like the Democrats and the Republicans, they're all within this this system that we've we've created this artificial behemoth. Like, um, and none of it seems to be working well for what a real Catholic society looks like. Uh, and there's so many problems and there's so many things. Now, I'll, I'll still sit here and be like, yeah, vote vote for Trump. But this is a question I asked Doctor Plato. This I don't know if you remember when we we had Doctor Plato on. I was like, okay, I'm. I don't know how much we should be pro-Trump or just like yeah. critical of the whole American system yeah. to begin with. Because there's like certain times where you think, so when we're fighting the Nazis, you want to be super patriotic and like beat the Nazis, right? But like, what about random Mujahideen in freaking Afghanistan across the world? Okay. Like I understand, okay, Twin Towers, whatever. Now, does that justify thousands of soldiers dying in a foreign country with no real purpose? Now that's different arguments, right? Okay, yeah. does it justify us getting fearful all the time? Like patriotism seems to be one of those you need it when you need it, and then when it's gone, the government's going to want you to, you know, need it because that helps their power. Uh, what was his uh, answer? He was like um didn't he say something about being like there's no perfect, right? There's no perfect like Catholic um society. Like, especially like in the United States, there, it's not perfect at all. We can strive to be perfect, but I think ultimately your authority should be God, like the one that you should obey. But you can't, like you have to, how do I say this? Your ultimate authority is God, right? But that's not good enough. You know what I mean? Like you have to, in the country today, we have to conform to uh, we can't just have no beliefs. You know what I mean? We can't just have believe nothing and be in this country, right? We have to obey. Should we should obey our leaders? Uh, if they're doing, if they're promoting good things, 
for us to obey. You know what I mean? Like they have good morals. They like Trump is pro-life. So I think that's a good thing. We should be able to uh, try to understand and obey his, what he you know wants to happen. That's for the good of the country. Um, so we don't just obey God, but we obey people that are in, um, that are in positions of Some power. divine right <clears throat> theory right here, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> wait, wait in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we but have Carrie, to have please. some sort of level of compliancy. Right? Yes, totally. Which is something that we have to, we can't just be anarchists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't vote anarchy, dumbass. <laughs> All right. Uh, but so like know. Carrie, how do we, let's say these, you know, things we're critical of, how do we get back to a Catholic? Like, what are some concrete things people can do to like start having these principles of subsidiarity, let's say, or living out a Catholic life as opposed to just the mass, you know, homogeneity of just being an American? I would say, first of all, and as actually a callback, get off social media. And honestly, I say this because I'm in a few Facebook groups, um, both trads who like flex on boomers and a lot of left-leaning Facebook groups. And the stuff they post is cringe, might I say. So I think getting off social media, like actually getting out, talking to other Catholics, talk to your priests is a good first step. Another step is um, pick up your Bible, but also pick up a lot of the writings of the saints because the saints have a bunch of amazing stories about how they came to you know, come to know Jesus. My patron saint Eugene de Mazenod, um had this incredible experience during Eucharistic adoration that moved him to eventually become a bishop, and that's been really inspiring to me to grow in my faith. And then another thing I think we should do is we have to respect our clergy, because ultimately all of the critiques we levy at our clergy, like we say that Father James Martin, you know, is a bad heretical priest. We say that Bishop Barron is, you know, playing a little too much to the charismatic side. Or we say that, oh, you know, Taylor Marshall, I know he's not a priest, but we have these people who cater to the traditional side. We need to remember that our clergy are put there for a reason. They are ordained by God still. And if we are critiquing our clergy, we should first look at ourselves Hmm. and examine what our biases could be. And I don't doubt that there are badly formed priests and bishops out there, but we still need to realize that they still hold an office, that all people in power hold office because God has ordained it so. Whether or not we agree with them, they're in power because God has them there for a purpose. And we even see this in the Gospels when Pilate is talking to Jesus and he says, why do you say nothing to defend yourself? Do you not know that I have the power to kill you or release yeah. you? And Jesus says, you would not have any power over me unless it was given to you from above. So we need to uh, to support our leaders. We need to critique them, but we also need to be charitable and lead them back to where we are living a truly authentic Catholic lifestyle. Mm. And we can't do that until we leave our echo chambers, we leave our homes, we pick up books, and we open our minds to what the church actually teaches, not just some watered-down Americanized form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think, um, like you said, the, the big part is just obedience, right? Because there's so many things that we don't think that are right. We don't know that they're right. Um, and so we, we are reluctant to obedience, but a lot of people know better than we do. And it's good to be like uh, obedient to a priest, right? Because they know what's best. 
they've been thoroughly trained to become that um, position. So it's good to have this level of obedience with uh, you know the clergy and to what they teach, because if we don't, then we're going to have all this chaos. Like we already have a lot of chaos in the Catholic church. We don't need any more. Um, But we kind of have to get back to our roots of our structured roots in the Catholic church. We obey the clergy. We have levels of the clergy and, you know, we just, we try to be the best Catholic family that we can you know what I mean? Nobody's yeah, how perfect. about having big families? That's a big yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's Get perfect. off of social media, like Carrie said. Find Actually, a girlfriend. And pump, <laughs> and pump out like 10 babies. <laughs> Jeez. But I mean, you you can't like more visible sign of just like, yeah, I'm pretty countercultural. It's just like, wow, you have like my family has, you know, um, my dad's had 11 Faustina. kids. It's right. like 11 kids. Like I have 10 other siblings, right? It's like, that's wow. Nuts. Uh, that's nuts. That's one of those, like, what? You're definitely countercultural in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're off of social media. You're not, you know, fueling the storm. You're actually, like, respectful for your priest and treating them well and your religious leaders and attending mass on Sundays. Just, like, very practical things, but you're you're creating a Catholic society and Catholic culture where you are. And it doesn't have to be something so grand as, you know, a Catholic revolution and martyrdom and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um. And for those priests and bishops who have the ability to do really more serious things, they need to step up to the plate. But that's not our, that's not us. Not at least not at this point in time, yeah. boys. Right. So yeah, but it, it could be. And part of what made Saint Francis so successful in his teaching was that he spent more than half the year in solitude in prayer. And you know, and I was at a talk with Father Jonathan for my household last night, and he said. The reason St. Francis was so successful in all of his teachings, like you see him, you know, preaching in front of people to the animals, is that he spent more than half his year in prayer. And mm-hmm. that made the impact of the remaining part of his year that much greater. It's nuts. Is that prayer is how we come to be better evangelists. So yeah. pray. That's another good thing. Pray. Okay. Pray the rosary. Pick up a rosary if you haven't prayed it yet. And. I was thinking about this the other day too. And St. Francis is a great example. Like what the success, like in his earthly life, uh, Jesus, like probably one of the worst failures ever in his earthly life. (laughs) I mean, think about now from a worldly standard, right? He died completely. Like, you know, who was at his, his cross, not all his disciples who were willing to like defend him all that stuff. It was his mom mom. and his young, naive disciple, the youngest disciple who's probably like 17 or 16. Some young kid who's like, yeah, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And he died alone, completely alone on a cross, you know, like was a poor carpenter. Had no money. Earthly success. Like uh, it, and he preached the truth the entire way through and everyone you know, no one was at his cross except for his mom and his young, naive disciple. Even Peter, who is, you know, his his right-hand man throughout most of the Gospels, had completely just abandoned him at the end because the forces of the world were so powerful that no one was willing to stand with Christ in the end. And I think in the same way, like, uh, thinking I have to measure, let's say, your success as a priest or a religious with how many pews you fill, with how many, how well people receive your message, once you start doing judging how you preach the truth by how people receive it i think you're already on the way to compromising yeah a lot of things yes. and not telling people the truth 
And it's so hard because we want to measure what we're saying with how people are like, like, wow, so many people loved my homilies and stuff. It's like, is that a good thing? Or are you telling them the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you making them feel good about stuff? Or are you making them like, holy shit, like, yeah, I'm, I need grace, you know, mm-hmm. like, I need the sacraments. I need this other stuff. Um, I have this problem too, thinking about like, if, if I entered religious life or, or clergy, or whatever, like, um, how would I measure, uh, let's say preaching or whatever else in terms of, um, cause the saints, you look at the saints lives, like they were rejected by a lot of people, you know, and most of them, a lot of the, some of them didn't see any success whatsoever until after they were, you know, died. And then their writings got around and stuff. Saint, take, um, the little flower, Teresa of right? You read her autobiography, and we, we've read it on stream. Little ball, <laughs> the little ball, not the little flower. The best analogy that she gave was the little ball, which she said. Sometimes I feel like Christ's little little ball, where he can throw me around the room, he can puncture the ball and see what's on the inside, he can forget the ball for a while and come back, but I'm always there for him. He said, that was the. I think that's a better analogy than the little flower. The little flower, like wow, this is so nice. The little flower in God's garden. The other one, the other analogy she uses, I'm just a little ball that Christ can like throw around and do whatever he whoop, do whatever he wants with, right? Oh yeah. Um, but she was no heroic, you know, Boniface who like converts Germany, or no Pope Gregory the Great who was just doing all this stuff. But wrote an autobiography under obedience, had some difficult things in her life, grew up, went to Rome, came back, lived in the monastery, died at like 24 or something like that, and her impact has been just unbelievable right what what god can do with that little flower is now uh even if she didn't have an enormous impact never wrote a shred of anything and just prayed like success is such an amorphous term and when you put success you almost always take a kind of worldly standard of this many people agreed with me this people many people disagree this many people liked me this many people didn't right it's success is weird when it comes to to church things right yeah absolutely for sure. Yeah. I think because the church is so diverse that there's so many different ways of, you know, proclaiming truth, but really how amazing would it be if every priest didn't care about like how people really perceived him, like people that weren't, you know, people that weren't like condescending him and just trashing him. How amazing this world would be if we just had everybody just preach the truth and not worry about what other people think of them. You know what right. I mean? Like the how, Kel and Alex show. Like the Kel and Alex show. <laughs> the Kel and Alex show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how amazing the world would be if we had that kind of system in place. But unfortunately, we're so, even the church, so worn out and just blitzed with politics that it's just like, I don't know. You know, it, it's, we've been just completely hit with the technological and political world that, it's happened to where even the priests who are the trained ones fall out. They burn out. They can't take it anymore. Get overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Get overwhelmed. And that's the saddest thing that you can see because I mean, it's just, it's the problems of the world that have come to the church. Hmm. And, um, however long it takes for Russia to get consecrated to the sacred heart. I mean, <laughs> Oh my God. Don't start. Please. How long yeah. is it going to take it's Russia? Consecrated. <clears throat> yeah, but come on completely. Every single soul in that pray country. Pray for it. Get pray out of it. get off Facebook, Kellen, and pray for it. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, Kellen. I'm trying. Uh yeah, exactly. Okay. What have we not covered in this podcast? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> this has been something else in terms of um we hit 
the debate. We had social media. We went off on the what crusades, crusades, nationalism, modesty, nationalism. modesty for modesty. a while. <laughs> like what the heck? Um, I knew we had a ton to talk about. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't I know it was that much. much. Yeah, no, I think oh. we covered tons of topics. Um, and I, I think it's good. It's <sighs> so a lot of these podcasts we've done just one topic. We got through. Uh, I did a podcast with you know Jacob and David on nuclear weapons and whatever, whatever <clears throat> else. Um, we but, did ours with the um catholic theocracy yeah or, and islam and with, uh, islam. with jacob imam by the jacob way shout imam. out to that guy he, he's shout out to he's jacob, off to man. oxford to go to wow. go study we had an oxford scholar on our <laughs> podcast How's that him? hoping to have father dave maybe we can get him off of that you know what i really want to do you know what i really want to do that i think would spark a lot of interest was have have father dave on but have primarily the podcast be about satanism <laughs> like think about no think about how cool that would be if we like research mm. Satanism and everything and just like talk know. to him about it. I don't know about it. that. It would be cool. I don't know. It? I mean, well, I mean, it may be cool, but I don't know if that's his expertise or what you want to, what he wants He's to He's a talk priest. About. I kind of want to just know his story because he seems like an interesting guy. Yeah. You know? He is. I think really talk, just getting him on and his story and talking about anything would be really cool. I mean, um, one of the things we could do is if you could get Father Dave on the podcast. We will. I should. I, it should you, be, what it you should could be fairly, do fairly is easy. You could shoot it at Franciscan probably. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a live we audience. finally do a live in, in Pugliese. In, in and Coda. That would be awesome. We'll do a live audience in the auditorium in Coda. I mean, that would work. If it was Father Dave, people would flock to that. Um, <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, okay, right. Would be really interesting. Uh, I'm not gonna write. Hopefully, we'll get more. We'll get more professors too. Hopefully. Uh, Oh yeah. Really interesting. Really nice. Um, We get who's the most Franciscan's premier podcast. Who's the most known professor on campus? Dr. Han. Oh, that's right, Dr. Han. I mean, I I I might be able to. I don't don't know about Dr. Han, but if you can get Professor Gaston on the podcast, oh, Han will be a piece of cake to come on the podcast. These guys are. It's a small community. They love to come on the show. Father Dave would. I live next to Scott Hahn. I could literally ask Dave, "Can you bring your dad onto the podcast?" It's like, David, why is your friend here selling Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> <laughs> we Dr. have Father Hahn, Dave Dr. on. Hahn. I think having Father Dave on would be a piece of cake. Look, we do it every Thursday, but if you can't do it on a Thursday, let's find another day to do it. Two hour show. That's it. Just and you. It should and be. People, it should be know. fair. It yeah, should be very easy. Know. So okay, it should be very easy. Then we'll make it happen, guys. Then. Guys, you gotta. Look out there, uh, all our listeners. Look out for these podcasts coming up. We're They're definitely going to get them lined up. Dude. We're going to get them lined up. October is the best month of the year, and it's coming up, bro. We're going to have a lot of good. It's already here, Kellen. It's coming. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for us, Kellen and Alex. Show uh, this edition of the podcast was not brought to you by whiskey. It was brought to you by Sober October. <laughs> uh, Alex is maybe going to be for the next thirty days. Day people, while we're friends. trying, you know. Maybe it'll last a day. Maybe I'll go to the store and just get another get whiskey. But uh, <laughs> appreciate uh, it for coming on, Carrie. Thanks. Hey, always a pleasure to be here, yeah, guys. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Thanks for that time we had Lagavulin 16 year. And I, I <laughs> literally put in the under it. I was like uh, sponsored, sponsored by, by Lagavulin. Someone asked me like, "Did you guys get sponsored by?" Yeah. Whiskey company? I was like, "No, we no. definitely did not." Although any whiskey companies out there, we will take your money. We will sell out a heartbeat. <laughs> Just give us some whiskey and some money and we'll do it. So Brian, anyways, Brian, thank you so much. For, uh, Special thanks to Brian. Yeah, come on, say something. And, uh, say, say something. And, no, come, come to the microphone. <laughs> come to the mic. The microphone say it was a pleasure. Show us to make heads later. It was my pleasure to be on the show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Brian. There you go, Brian. Thanks, Brian. All right. That's going to wrap it up right. for us. You guys, guys. are awesome. Peace, and everybody. We'll, uh, see you next time. Well. Peace out.